everyone. Are you ready to get into the word of the Lord today? Yeah. All right. So we are continuing our sermon series called The Seven Letters. And uh, the, whole, uh, the whole basis behind this sermon series is that the Lord spoke to seven churches in the book of Revelation, and it wasn't just for them. We know that the word of God is timeless. It's never ending. It's, it's applicable for us today. And so those letters can be spoke or can be given to us as the 21st century church and instruct and encourage and times of rebuke, rebuke us because we can fall into all of these categories that he, that Jesus himself mentioned and spoke to the churches. So our first uh, letter was uh, two weeks ago and it was to the Ephesus. And, um, and so when he spoke to the church in Ephesus, he told them that they had forsaken their first love and that if they did not repent, what he was going to do was he was going to remove their lampstand. And Jesus himself gave us uh, what the, um, you know, the illustration when they saw the lampstand, what that meant, that meant the church. So that if they didn't come back to their first love, that actually Christ was going to snuff out that church. And so we as a church, uh, you know, we receive that correction, that rebuke. Uh, we, and, and we choose as a church to come back to our first love. And I said that can be, it, can, it has two different types of things. Uh, uh, some commentators say that first love is Christ himself coming back to that first love. And other ones say uh, to do the works you did at first means come back to like when you used to work for the Lord, like pure-hearted, wholeheartedly, and it wasn't like work or drudgery or, and your heart wasn't into it and all that other stuff. So let's, combine, let's coincide both of those together and, and give him all of our heart and give him all of our strength, right? This is where we're called to love him with all of our mind, right? Soul, right? heart, and our strength. Our strength is what we do, right? Amen. Okay, you guys ready? So this next letter, the second letter is to the church of Smyrna. You can say, some, some pronounce it Smyrna, Smyrna. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, it's, it's Greek or, or Hebrew or whatever. It's, it's right? Yeah. Is, is, there, is, there one in, is there a Smyrna in Georgia? Okay, so again, I want to reiterate that the book of Revelation is not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of the end times. It's not the revelation of what's going to happen. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Say it with me. Say revelation, revelation. of Jesus Christ. And revelation is a big word that just means like revealed, seen. So it's, it's bringing to the forefront for us to to see. So we're going to go into the second letter. The second letter is found in Revelation chapter 2. It's actually a very short letter. Um, it's one of the two letters, uh, so you, you don't have to strap on, uh, tighten up your boots and strap on your seatbelts uh, today. It's one of two letters that does not have a rebuke in it. So all of you guys wiped the sweat off your brows like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> no rebuke today, yes. But there is, a, there is an encouragement in there that I think could be more challenging than a rebuke. So, ready to read the word of the Lord with me? Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. ready for the word. All right, hopefully you came hungry. So we're going to go into it. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read verse 8 through 11. And so, to the, if you look at the, the heading, it says, to the church in Smyrna. And we know that, um, that actually Jesus is writing this to the angel. We talked about that. That could be an actual angel it could be a messenger. It could be the pastor, right? I mean, there's he, Jesus doesn't actually give us description. I mean, an angel could be an angel, or it could be someone who's supposed to bring this message. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, 
the words of the first and the last who came, or excuse me, who died and came to life. Verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that you are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Ooh. Verse 10. Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Say, in the name of Jesus, give me ears to hear. Give me ears to hear. Amen. We want to hear what the the Lord is saying. All right. right, Let's break this down a little bit. So, uh, I don't know how jo- Pastor Joy is going to do it when she does the letters, but when I do the letters, I'm going to break down each part. We're going to give a description of Christ, the commendation, the rebuke, the solution, the consequence of disobedience, and the promise to those conquerors. So that's kind of how we break down this letter. Go ahead and go to the next slide for me, sir. So the description of Christ, if you see, what you're going to see in, the, in, the, in each letter, it's really interesting. In each letter, Christ is described in a different fashion and a different facet. In each letter, you're going to see the beginning when he's describing himself. He's going to describe himself in a different uh, fashion. In the first, remember, he was described as the one who holds the seven stars and stands among the seven lampstands, right? And we were like, come on, that's amazing. He wasn't standing outside the lampstands. The lampstands are the church. He was standing in the midst. He's right there where the church is. Come on. Somebody say amen right there. He's standing in the midst of the lampstands. He's right. He's here with us now, right? And so this is the description of him in the second letter. And so he says I, he, that he is the first and the last who died and came to life. Now, I think it's very interesting, and I don't think it's by accident, that he describes himself as the one who died and came to life. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to get into uh, that uh, when we actually start breaking it down. Um, the accommodation is he said that they were spiritually rich. They... Um, saw themselves as poor, but they're rich. We're going to get into that. Um, that they were enduring persecution. The rebuke, there's none. He did not say, I hold this against you. Wow. Whew. Yeah, no rebuke. But <laughs> the next thing I think is, is you don't need to be rebuked if you're going to be faithful unto death. <laughs> the consequences of disobedience, there's none because there's no rebuke. And then the promise for the conquerors is he's going to give them the crown of life and they will not be hurt by the second death. So let's go, let's break this down. It's only a few verses. Let's go into verse 8. So in verse 8, he describes himself as the first and the last, the one who died and who was resurrected, the one who died and then was brought back to life. He said, I died because he was letting some of them know that they may have to die as well. So he's like, look, I died, I rose to life. You may have to die too. Now, this is what's very interesting to me. It's very interesting. Okay, I don't know the ways of God. I don't. I, I, all I know is, is I, I, we, we, we call it the sovereignty of God. Anytime we don't explain, anytime a scholar doesn't understand why God does what he does, we say the sovereignty of God. Have you ever heard that? 
the sovereignty that's just basically is it's beyond our it's beyond our comprehension it's beyond our understanding and if you don't if you don't quite get that there are names of angels that when they said what is your name the angel would tell the human being i cannot tell you for it is beyond your comprehension so if a name of an angel <laughs> is beyond our comprehension <laughs> the ways of god can be beyond our comprehension like we don't understand right like we don't it's the sovereignty of god okay so in the sovereignty of God, I don't know why, I don't know why there's times in the, in the Bible where, where it says, by faith, they escaped the sword, and by faith, they faced the sword. I don't know why. I don't know why, why James was beheaded in Acts and Peter is supernaturally brought out of prison. I don't know why, right? Like, like we don't know. And somebody might say, well, well, Peter, you know, this, that, and the other. No, we don't know. Like, really, like, we don't know. Can you honestly say Peter was better than James? What if James was better than Peter? That's why maybe James was the one that was brought up to Christ before Peter. And we're looking from a different perspective because we're seeing it from an earthly perspective. We might look at Jesus and say, man, his life was snuffed out. He only lived 33 years. You know, he didn't even get to live to be 80. But what if 33 years on this earth was nothing because he's already in eternity? Like, we don't understand. You see, like, perspective, right? Like, like I don't know the ways of God. It's, it's my heart to, to know them, right? Like, that's my heart, right? I want to I know God's ways. I want to know why he does what he does. And I'm not always going to, right? Like, there's things that are hidden from us on purpose, right? I mean, and then there's times he shares stuff with us that we're not allowed to share with others. Has God ever shared with you any of his secrets? If he did, he's entrusted some information to you that he trusts you with, right? Has God ever told you something and say, don't share this with anyone? Or God has told you this and just say, keep this to yourself? This is meant for you. Don't share it. Because he, he can do that. Why? I don't know. Because he's sovereign. <laughs> he can, I want to share all this. No, nope. Not meant for you to. Right? Jesus even said, they, uh, they said, when are you going to restore your, uh, the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know. Told his disciples, not for you to know. <laughs> okay, I trust you. <laughs> as much as I want to know. <laughs> so, verse 8, we say he calls himself, he says, the first, the last one who died. He said, you know, and he died, and we may have to die as well. And I don't understand this, uh, but let's read this. I just want to show you this. It's all by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read a few verses here. Um, talks about the men and women of faith in verse 29. We're going to read verse 20. No, we're going to read verse, not 29. We're going to read verse 33 through 38. I tried to put it, even though it's, I'm sorry if it's a smaller font, I wanted to put it all on one slide so that we could say, so that we could see verse 33. It says, through faith, and it gives all these things that that all of the patriarchs, all of the men and women of 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 uh, before us, before the writer of Hebrews, all the stuff that they did for the kingdom of God. See, for the kingdom of God, right? They did it in the name of the Lord. It says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire. Those all sound amazing, right? You come on, escape the edge of the sword. Yes. Were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some, and then it goes on to say, now it's going to change. Ready? Now he's going to flip it. 
We heard all the stuff that happened that was really awesome and cool. Yes, rescue me from the lion's mouth. Yes, restore my kids. You know, restore my all this. And then it's going to flip it and say some were tortured. Refused to accept release so they might rise uh, to a better life. Others suffered, mocked, and flogged, and even chained and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wow. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The Lord would just kind of breathe that thing like the world wasn't worthy of those guys. So it's, it's telling us through faith, some escaped the sword and through faith, some faced it. Now, this is the thing, friends. Friends, our comfort can never outweigh our commitment. Okay? Our comfort can never outweigh our commitment to Christ. He, he told and gave instruction to the, Samar- the Samarans, or however you call them, and said, you're going to be persecuted and you may even die. And then he told them, he said, be encouraged, fight through, stand firm. Verse 9, he says, I know your troubles, your tribulation, your poverty. You are rich, he told them. You're rich. Now, this is the thing. This was so interesting to me. It's so very interesting. The Samaritan church looked at themselves, and they, they saw themselves impoverished. I remember when, when, we, um, uh, was, when we were only pastoring our South Toledo campus, and our South Toledo campus is, is in an impoverished community. Even though it's impoverished in America, it's still the 20% richest in all of the world, right? Um, and so, so in perspective, according to American standards, our church might be impoverished, But according to world standards, and this isn't even spiritual standards, that church is rich. But I'm going to say this too, and this is what's what's so bizarre to me. Our South Toledo campus has always struggled financially, always. The whole time I've ever done this, other than uh, the last few years where things have gotten better. Uh, But there is a supernatural spiritual strength of our South Toledo campus that I cannot explain. I can't. I can't explain it. I've had people, and this is, this is not an exaggeration, I've people walked into that building and say, there's something about this place. There's something, there's something, God, there's, I sense the Lord, there's something about this place because that we, you know, we're, we're sitting here nice in this beautiful, beautiful place. And they're over there in, in, in South Toledo, right there in the heart where, where people are being murdered and killed over a few dollars, worshiping and loving the Lord, and Jesus sees it, and he breathes his supernatural gifts on it. I don't know why. He just does. And so, so they could say, well, we're poor. And the Lord would say, you're spiritually rich, right? Different perspective. How often do we see ourselves wrongly? 
Now, it's very interesting to me because when, when you're, we're going to see in the letters here that the Samaritan church, they said we're poor, and God says, no, you're rich. And then in Laodicea, which is the last letter, they said, we are rich. And he said, no, nah, no, nah, fool, you're spiritually bankrupt. <laughs> you broke. <laughs> Sell all your possessions <laughs> and get something that I'm going to give you that's going to last forever. Say wrong perspective. And so how often do we see ourselves in a wrong perspective? How often do we see ourselves in, in, in the light of our circumstances? And it's kind of what I was talking about a little bit earlier today when, I was, when, when we were praying. How often do we see ourselves? In Je- and Jesus is always going to challenge our perspective. Let me say that again. Jesus is always going to challenge your perspective. He's always going to challenge my perspective. Like when we thought buying this building, we could have had the perspective, wow, $175,000 is a lot of money. According to Christ, that's like a pebble off of his golden streets of gold in heaven, right? (laughs) One of the pebbles that kick off. It's nothing. He owns a cat on Thousand Hills. Perspective, right? And so we got to see ourselves through the perspective of Christ. If I looked at myself, how often do we look at ourselves in, in a very negative connotation? Raise your, raise your hand if you say, um, either I have or most often, I look at myself in a negative connotation. Are you willing, are you willing to see that? Look at, see, look at all of our hands, all of our hands. Because what you're seeing is you're seeing yourself from your perspective. Now, Josh sees himself, and he sees himself as, you know, you know, north side, hood, rat, blah, 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 blah. Somebody who can't speak in front of people, somebody who doesn't have something to offer, yada, yada, blah, 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 blah. But when Christ saw Josh Hester, he said, no, there is a more than a conqueror, right? When, when he said, he said, no, that's my son, that's my servant. He's going to preach. He's going he's gonna to do uh, the things of the Lord, blah, 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 blah. He saw differently, and he gave. So, you know, out of Christ, I might be a coward, but in Christ, I'm, a, I'm as bold as a lion. Come on, someone. But it's, but it's all being in Christ because Christ changes our perspective. He changes our definition. We may see ourselves, and that's what happened, and we saw that in the scriptures where, like, people like Saul, who the Lord breathed on and said, this is my guy, and yet he's hiding in the baggage, and he couldn't get past his insecurities. He couldn't get past it. He's building monuments to himself when he has a few victories. He's, he's doing stuff and that he's not supposed to do, and the Lord cut him off. Because, but we got to get over ourselves, friends. We got to see ourselves the way that Christ sees us. We got to receive that and not allow our, our insecurities, our weaknesses, our fears to dictate our, our decisions and who we are in Christ. So what if, the, what, if, what if the Samaritan church said, oh, we're just poor and we're never going to amount to anything and yada, 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 and blah, 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 blah. But they had something to offer that the Lord, I mean, think of this. There was tons of churches. Why were they, why were they one that, was, that, that got highlighted and breathed and, and wrote a letter to? There was, there was more than those, right? He didn't write to, he didn't write to the Th- uh, Thessalonica. He didn't write a letter to Philippi, right? He didn't write, I mean, he didn't write a letter uh, to the Colossian church. No, he wrote it to these churches. And he looked at this church and he saw that, that they saw themselves as poor, that they were being beat up by others. What verse is that? Is that the same verse? Is that verse 9? Yeah. And that they were calling themselves supposed Jews. And it says, slander. They're slandering your name. They're saying you suck. <laughs> right? 
you ain't, you ain't real. This ain't no real church. You're fake. Oh, you don't really believe the Bible. Oh, you aren't real followers of Christ. Oh, if you were a real follower of Christ, you would have wealth. Isn't it interesting that Christ said it was the Jews that were slandering, and it uses the, the word in the Greek, blaspheming, this church, and today, who, I think some of the most damaging thing that is to the body of Christ come from other believers. And I'm going to say, but are they really believers? Because if you really are of Christ, you're not going to attack the body of Christ. If you're really of Christ, you're not going to attack the bride. Seriously. Like, really? Like, seriously. Like, your whole, your whole mission in ministry is to show how everyone else is wrong, but for some reason, you're right. That's the most arrogant thing I've ever heard in my life. Come on. And they have, I mean, and, there's, and they have tons of followers and YouTubes and, 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 and all this other stuff, and they're pulling all of these people in. We're standing on the outside and we're looking at you and we're going we're gonna to slander your name. Friends, it's been happening since then and it's happening today. And, and they could say all their things, all those tongue talkers, all those blah, 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 they blah, 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 blah. Really, like, how about you focus on Christ, focus on the mission of the church and leave us alone? Yeah. We're not talking about you. Are we over here bashing uh, uh, Baptists and, and all that? No, we don't do that. Like, like, you're a part of the body of Christ. Come on. It's like the ear talking bad about the tongue, right? It's like the toe talking bad about the finger. Like, really, seriously, come on. Like, you have your part, we have our part. Come on, let's like, in harmony, do what we're called to do, which is the great mission, the great commission, win people for Christ, fight against the devil, and not sit there and badmouth our brother. That's why almost every single letter in the New Testament is saying, basically, shut your mouth, stop talking about people. Look at your neighbor and say, shut your mouth. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> about to get you in trouble. <laughs> I get so passionate about this. I really do. Because it is not the job of the church to criticize the church. It is the job of the church to glorify Christ and be the most, the most exemplary example to a lost world that people would want to become a part of us. The scripture says that we are supposed to cause the Jew to, uh, 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 that, that, that we're supposed to make them jealous because of, our, because of our relationship with the Lord, that they would look at us and say, what is it that they have? But if we're sitting there fighting and bickering and, and, and talking bad about, who would ever want to be a part of that organization? Really, seriously? And I know that there's some really whack, jacked up whack jobs out there. I know. Right? Seriously, like, really, like, come on. I mean, that's the only way to put it. Like, there are some whack jobs out there that are straight preaching heresy. And my prayer is, Lord, if they are leading people away from you, shut them down. Shut their mouth. Isn't it Christ's church? Couldn't he shut them up? He absolutely can. Right? I mean, what happens? I mean, I mean, look at all, look at all the scandals that happened in, in the 80s. What was that God doing? Cleaning up his church. Anytime I see that the Lord wants to chastise his body or his people, he usually uses the world. Think of it. Look in, this, look in the scripture. So guess what? If a church is out of line, the Lord will use the world to bring darkness to light. Sorry, I'm on a tangent here. 
Um, man, we just, like, like it, it does, it bothers me a lot. Because we're just so deceived, you know? Like, like there's so much work to be done. Like, like if, you're, if you're in the arena and you're discipling people and you're pouring into people's lives and you're laying down your life every day, you don't have time to sit there and criticize the body of Christ. Come on. Come on. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Uncle Bob has the best ringers. He said, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. <laughs> Come on, someone. Yes. Love those. What a great ringer. Again, I think supposed Christians can be more damaging to the body of Christ than non-believers. I think most people that step away from church isn't because they heard a non-believer sitting there and talking bad about a church. It's because they were in a church and they had somebody said something, did something that was outside of the character of Christ to them. Are y'all still with me? Yes. Okay. okay I'm going get to get over. We're going to go to the next slide here. So we read through verse 9, we read through verse 10, so, or read through verse 8, read through verse 9. And in verse 10, Jesus tells us to do these things. He tells, because we know that he's not just speaking to Samaritan, he's speaking to us. And he tells them in verse 10, he says, do not fear. How often, how often, how often, how often does God have to continually remind us not to be afraid? You know, and so um, courage, courage is not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of fear. You don't need courage if you're not afraid. You need courage if you are afraid. So he so why would he tell why would he tell Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 8 why would he say be bold and courageous do not be afraid for I'm with you unless the Lord knows the attitudes of the heart and he was a man of war. But I could see this man of war who is no longer under the leadership of Moses and he's probably thinking what the heck am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. This was the man of God. He had the golden rod. <laughs> He's parting the sea. He's doing all these things. Who am I? And the Lord just showed him too. He said, oh yeah, by the way, the, I'm the same God. And splits, not the Red Sea, but splits the Jordan for him, right? Come on, just shows him, hey, look, I'm with you too. And so often, often, often you'll see in the scripture, the Lord is reminding us, his church, do not be afraid. Why? Because, because fear is going to try to shut your mouth, shut you up. Fear wants to shut you up, church. It is not a time to be silent. It is, it is a time for us to share the love of the gospel, the love of Christ, in a loving way, please. In a loving way. Like, can we actually, like, tell somebody we love them and, like, really mean it? Like, like seriously, like, not in a condescending, like, nobody is going to come to church if you're condescending, right? Like, think of this. Think of back when you were a kid, or maybe you still are one in an adult body, and think of when your mom told you to do a chore, and, 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 and you didn't want to do it, but then she said it in a condescending way. Did you, that made you not want to do it even more, right? Like, something inside you bucked up and said, right? There wasn't even a word. It was just a sound. Remember that when you used to do that? Did anybody get slapped for that? And you just... <laughs> Whap. <laughs> Do it behind their back. 
like you don't even let them know. Because there's something about, you know, and you probably end up doing it anyway, or you're going to get beat or, you know, grounded or couldn't go out with your friends or whatever it was. But when we as a church, when we as a body of Christ, when, when we present the gospel, which is the good news, in a wrong manner, nobody wants, nobody wants that. The Bible says that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Or, here it is, listen to this. Ready, friends? The kindness of God. Come on, that'll preach. I'm going to end right now. Good night, everybody. <laughs> kindness. It's a lost art form in America. We need kindness. Especially, I'm telling you, man, you're, you're going to be tested on every level. You're going to be tested at every stoplight. Like, seriously, like, people are not, don't know how to drive anymore. <laughs> right? They're just giving away free driving lessons to everyone, I mean. And then uh, they're just like, you get a license and you get a license. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's just, your kindness is going to be tested, right? <laughs> okay, which brings us to number two, you will be tested. Like, he told them, he said, first and foremost, don't be afraid because you're going to face fear. I mean, seriously, like, have you ever thought you were about to die? Have you ever been in a place where you thought you were going to die? Okay. Okay. And I'm not talking about when you're driving with your spouse <laughs> and you're holding on to that little handle that, that slides down. You're like, ah. Okay. My wife has said she saved our life many times in driving. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember, yeah, a few times in my life where guns were pulled on me and the, another time where I overdosed where I thought I was going to die. So, the, you know, you're facing that fear of death. Uh, so he's telling them, do not be afraid. But then he also says that not only to not uh, to be afraid, but you're going to be tested. Like, you're going to be tested. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. You can't run from it. It's coming for you. And you have to face it. And as often as I don't like being tested, I, I, we have to be tested. As our faith is going to continually be tested. Because God wants to see, are you, really, are you really the person of your word? Are you just, are you a lip service person or are you about the business person? Think of this. Who was tested in the New Testament, but then obviously they, they later uh, reconciled themselves? Peter. He said out of his own mouth, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. What happened that night? He ran. We do the same. Lord, I love you. I love you with everything. But do you? What happens if I take your spouse away from you? I take your job away from you? Lord, I don't love you anymore. Why are you doing this to me? It's all your fault. And don't say he can't. Because he does. I don't know. Sovereignty. Maybe you're not even doing anything wrong. I would go ahead and say this. If you're being tested, it's probably because you're doing something right. Don't look at, I'm being tested, I'm going through a, a lot of stuff because God don't like me anymore, and now I'm, his, now I'm no longer his favorite. <laughs> look at it as you're being challenged because he's seen if he can trust you. Job was his favorite. I've never heard a better description of a person in my life. He was upright and blameless. He feared God and shunned evil. Blameless? Can't say that. Right? <laughs> he was upright and blameless. What a great description. 
And then, and then Satan's, you know, whatever he was doing, and the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? What if he, what, I mean, we don't know that what's in heaven. What if he's like, have you considered my servant Gage, or have you considered my servant Maddie? You're like, why am I going through all this? I don't know. You will be tested. Say, I will be tested. So he says, don't be afraid. He says, you're going to be tested. And then the third one, and this is, the, this is the reason why you don't need a rebuke, actually, is you need to be faithful. And not just faithful, you need to be willing to die. <laughs> How devoted are you to your commitment to God? Will you lay down your life or will you deny him? Anybody here ever read the Book of the Martyrs? Read this. There's like there's like two books of them. There's like back in the where they where they I think the books were written maybe in the late late nineties. I think the Book of the Martyrs, and it's 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 uh, accurate accounts of of things that Christians you know through throughout our history that we've recorded have gone through, um, and and how they laid down. And there's there's think of this, friends. There are are thousands, maybe millions, probably millions of people who were so devoted to the Lord and to Christ that they said, this life is not worth it. We don't know that because America is a very, or at least we started as a Christian nation, right? And so we don't have the, we don't have the persecution as in what happens in the, like the 1040 window or in some of the uh, Islamic countries or other countries, Buddhist countries now, the, and um, uh, Hin, you know these different countries that are kicking—they're kicking missionaries out. Like, like, like this is like, like for years and years and years, countries were very accepted of missionaries, and and this is like the first time that I've known that now they're like, we don't want you. Get out of our country. We don't want you, your God, or your gospel. Wow. Jesus is coming, friends. Be faithful unto death. Am I just going to give him lip service, or am I really to actually lay down my life and lay down my rights? And then he says this in verse 11. He says, to the one who conquers. What do we got to conquer? Friends, you got to conquer yourself. <laughs> right? When he's saying, to the one who conquers, he's not telling you to go and conquer Toledo. Right? <laughs> not telling you to conquer, you know, the United States, start a militia, right? What you need to conquer is you need to conquer your sinful, selfish, sinful nature. That's what we need to conquer. So we need to conquer ourselves, And then also there's things that we need to conquer that the enemy is going to send our way. We need to conquer the lies of the enemy because the scripture says, watch out that you will not, you know, uh, watch out that you might not be deceived. We have to conquer those lies. How do you conquer the lies? With the truth, you got to know the truth. We got to conquer the schemes and tactics of the enemy. We got to know. We got to know how and why and what. Like if we know that he's he's um, going along, uh, that he's roaming the earth like a roaring lion, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If his job is to devour, then maybe you need to know some of the s- schemes and tactics and strategies that the enemy's using to devour you, your family, your 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 future, your legacy, your people, your neighborhood. And we got to be able to conquer this desire to want to quit. Think of this. There's going to be so many in the end times that are going to give up their rights 
to the man of lawlessness that we call the Antichrist. And what is he going to do? He's going to cause them to receive this mark. And when they receive this mark, they're going to be eternally cut off from the kingdom of heaven. Because that mark is a, is, is a, is a, uh, it's a stamp of saying, God, I don't want you. And if you don't want him, my friends, he don't want you. <laughs> Am I being honest here? Like, that's the whole free will thing. Like, why would you be in heaven with him forever if you never wanted him in the first place? Like, really? Like, seriously? Like, if you are my friend and you never want to come over my house, there's a problem. Like, really? Like, really? Like, oh, you're my friend. Oh, you say you're my friend. Oh, oh, that's what it is. You just say it. But you never actually want to spend time with me. Are you guys with me? Is this okay? Are we good? All right. I, I feel like this is going way more harder than last time. And there was a rebuke last time. <laughs> Conquer. The, another, uh, in other translations, the ESV says to the one who conquers. In other translations, it says to him who overcomes. And when it talks about, you know, when, so what's overcome, it means to that we need to prevail. We need to rise up against hardship. We need to endure to the end. We need to win. We got to win, baby. Look at your neighbor say, we got to win. We got to win. And listen to this. Ready? Listen to this. Sometimes winning is dying. Like when we look at the world wars and we say, you know, well, we killed all of them and we conquered or whatever and we won, we prevailed. Well, in the kingdom of God, sometimes winning is you dying. That's winning. Man, why is this so hard? It's his word. Overcome means to endure to the end and, and sometimes overcoming means you got to lay down your life. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, you are not just a conqueror. In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. He's given you all of the ability to overcome. He's given you the very spirit of the living God that dwells in you, around you, surrounds you, with you, for you to overcome the tactics of the enemy and to overcome yourself. He's given it to us. And then he says to the one who overcomes, he says that he's going to give them, in verse 11, he's going to give them the crown of life. Isn't that very interesting? Now, there's uh, biblical crowns in the New Testament. There's about five of them. Some scholars and, and believers think that there are seven crowns, which is kind of cool because, you know, I mean, all the sevens in the Bible. But there are at least five crowns in the New Testament that it talks about. It talks about the crown of victory, uh, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. Those are all in the New Testament. Um, and then other people would say uh, that there's two other crowns that are in the Old Testament, the crown of separation, the crown of protection, but, you know, whatever. You know, if you want to go look into that, whatever. But we're just going to talk about the crown of life today. And so he says to the one who overcomes, and he's talking about to the, he's, he's telling it specifically to the church that may have to lay down their life. He said, if you lay down your life, if you are tested to the point you've got to die, you're getting the crown of life. What's that crown? Friends, the crown of life is you conquered life by giving your life. I remember when the Lord dropped that in my spirit. I'm like, whoo. The crown of life. Why do you get a crown? Because you conquered. You're a king. You get the crown of life because you gave it up. You died. 
And it talks about it in James 2. It's James chapter 1, verse 12. And he talks about, he says, you, you go through persecution and you go through trials and you go through this, you will receive the crown of life. Another uh, translation or another way that they call it is they call it um, the martyr's crown. Have you ever heard that before? They call it the martyr's crown. So, what are you going to do with that crown? going to wear it, going to show it off to your friends, put it on a pedestal, spit shine it, like, look at my crown of life. Look at this crown. Walk around, I'll probably the crown. Hey, Mark, you see this crown? Yeah, my crown. I had to die for this. You know, by the way, I don't know what you did, but uh, had a, had to die for this crown. Where's your crown? No. Uh, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's very, very funny. Um, what we're actually going to do is, is when you get to heaven and you see the glory of the Lord and you realize that you don't even deserve to be there because <laughs> it's so, it's beyond, right? It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor mind conceived the things that the Lord has for. Like, we don't know. Like, we all think that's this cool little, I'm going to be in a little cloud and we don't know. Like, like we got some, but, but he says, no, friends, you don't know. And when we get there, we're going to say, I don't deserve to be here. <laughs> like seriously, like, like if you are a person of, of Christ and you're walking in humility and you're walking with the character of Christ, you're going to go there and you're going to say, oh. <laughs> and we're going to do the exact same things that the 24 elders are going to do. You're going to take that crown that you got. Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, it says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before him. <laughs> and they say this, Worthy are you. Because the Lord's going to give you a crown saying, You know what? You're worthy of this crown. Boom. And you're going to say, no, I'm not. <laughs> this is your crown. <laughs> the only reason why I'm even here is because of you. You gave me the strength. You gave me the sustenance. I'm here because of everything that you died for. So this crown is yours, Christ. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We're going to see things from a perspective we've never seen it before. And we're going to say, God, I don't deserve this crown. You. And we're going to do exactly what the 24 elders, we're going to lay our crowns. The reason why there's bands called casting crowns and stuff, because they're, right? Like, seriously, like, nobody, nobody's going to be arrogant with their crown in heaven. They're going to see Christ in all of his glory, and you're going to fall down your worship, and you're going to say, this belongs to you, Lord. Are y'all getting this? So hopefully we're encouraged again. I, the three things I just want to reiterate, and then we'll, we're going to end in prayer. The three things we're going to iterate that Jesus tells us to do. Number one, friends, he tells us, do not be afraid. Don't fear. Friends, do not be afraid. You will be tested. You're probably being tested right now. Probably going through some stuff. And three, be faithful. That's what he rewards. He doesn't reward big stadiums and big churches. He rewards faithfulness. He doesn't reward big budgets, big ministry, and big outreaches. He rewards faithfulness. 
So be faithful. Be faithful with what little or with what or, or much you have. And that way we can stand before the Lord. And if the Lord has asked you to lay down your life, well, he has. He says, whoever gives up his life for my sake. Right? I mean, we're called to lay down our life. Hopefully your life is being laid down daily. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word today, Lord. And it is, it is a word of encouragement. We say we are encouraged by your word, Lord. And we just get a small little glimpse, a small little glimpse of what's going to happen, Lord, when we endure to the end, when this, when this vapor of a life, when this breath of a life, which is so minuscule compared to eternity, God, when, when our, that little dash between the day we were born and the day we were died, when we stand before you and we give account to that, and Lord, hopefully, hopefully, I pray my heart's prayer as, as is, God, for, for, for every believer that's a part of the family of Vision Church and every believer around the world, that we would remain faithful to the call of God. We would not give up. We would not quit. Even though the enemy may want us to quit, may want us to, to throw in the towel, but we will actually endure. And God, through that, I believe you're going to crown your saints who fought through to the end. And then when we receive that crown, we're going to give it back to you. I pray before we started, God, about lifting our vision higher, just give us a small gaze of what that might look like, Jesus. I say, what, I, what I'm saying is, Lord, would you open our eyes to eternity? Let us, let our decisions that we make today, tomorrow, have eternity in mind, God. In Jesus' name. And friends, if you're in here today and you just need, you need the Lord to encourage you, to strengthen you, to uplift you, could you, could you lift your hand? We're going to pray for you today. Yeah, thank you for those hands. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pray for you. Lord, right now, God, thank you, Lord. Uh, Jesus, God, everyone that needs an extra special touch from you, God, right now, God, touch every heart. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, right now, Lord, strength, grace, peace, the joy of the Lord. Courage. Right now. Be encouraged in the Lord right now in Jesus' name. I know you're going through it. I know it. The Lord knows it. He's with you. He's with you through your struggle. Just receive that wisdom from the Lord to know that he's with you. He's got you. Build your faith right now. Lord, you're with us. And then go ahead and ask, go ahead and ask God what you need. Take this moment. Right where you're sitting. Make a little petition bowl before the Lord. Just say, God, I'm struggling with my faith. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling in my mind. I had that happen to me uh, after last weekend on Monday, man. I was getting beat up in my mind, and I just leaned in to the Lord on Monday. I'm like, God, I just, I'm really getting attacked. I just really need you. <laughs> really feeling like a loser, even though we had all that incredible stuff happen. 
both campuses. And I just leaned in. I'm like, Lord, I need you. Let that be your prayer right now. Say, Lord, I need you. (laughs) I can't do this without you, Lord. You're so good. He shall supply all of your needs. Nothing's too small. Nothing's too insignificant. Maybe you're struggling financially. Ask him. Lord, I need help. Maybe you're struggling emotionally. Maybe you're struggling physically. Maybe like me last week, maybe you're struggling mentally. Man, the enemy's just bombarding you with all kinds of intrusive thoughts. Lean in, lean in, lean in. Thank you, Holy Spirit, right now. Overshadow your sons and daughters right now, Lord. I don't know about you, man. I just feel the peace of the Lord in this place. He's here. He's standing in the midst of the lampstands. He's right here with us. He's for you. He's with you. And he knows that you're going to endure some stuff. He's going to walk with you through it. Be of courage in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you peace. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you. God bless you.